Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Last week, we talked all about our favorite must-have SLP products. So if you haven't taken a listen to that, stop, go listen, and then come back. So this week on the show, we are joined by Sherilyn, who we met on Instagram. She reached out to us to do a different kind of episode that we haven't actually done really anything on before, which is treating adults. And we're really excited to dive into this topic because again, we haven't done it before. Um, So Sherilyn is on Instagram as Coffee Talk SLP, and we'll talk a little bit about her platform in a little bit, but I'm excited to hear about her place of work and what disorder area she works with. So Sherilyn, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah. So uh, go ahead. No, I know. (laughs) I was going to be like, tell me about yourself. Yeah, go for it. (laughs) Um, That's me. I'm Sherilyn. Uh, I run Coffee Talk SLP. Um, I graduated Boston University in 2020. Um, I can hear a little bit of the Boston accent. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say something earlier. (laughs) It's going to come out, but I have a super strong Jersey accent. I love it. Sometimes hide it. uh, But (laughs) When I went to Boston, like I would have kids I babysat be like, why do you talk, talk? Oh, that's funny. I talk Jersey. Jersey. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know the difference. I just know it sounds like an accent. (laughs) This is off topic, but I once was like treating, treating like one of the kids or I was, we were doing, um, we were doing something for B's program and I was teaching kids the difference between the awe sound and the awe sound because we were doing phonological awareness. And my professor had to pull me aside and she was like, so the awe sound doesn't exist in Boston. That's oh my gosh. Yeah. She's really nice about it. But I was like, oh, because they That's just say so like dog and right. I say dog one. <laughs> That's so funny though. Cause I would never even think about that either. Unless yeah. I met someone. Had totally. no idea. Thank God she stopped me because it would have been a useless lesson for them to learn. Oh, I love it. That's amazing. Well, so now you work with adults. So tell us a little bit about the place you're in now. Yeah. So, um, I'm pretty new to where I'm currently working. I just finished my fellowship in a subacute and long-term rehab facility. So sniff, um, and I, also did part of my CF in a pediatric private practice. And currently I'm working in outpatient rehab with adults in their private homes and senior living communities. Cool. That's awesome. So what, what kind of, um, like disorder areas, I guess, do you see mostly, I mean, in a sniff, I'm assuming like some dementia swallowing things like that, but what kind of adults are you seeing? So right now, um, in outpatient rehab, I'm seeing most uh, Parkinson's, 
acquired brain injuries and or dementia. I I see other, other disorders and populations too, but, um, majority, I would say center around those three things. Cool. I have my first Parkinson's client. I'm sorry to (laughs) take it over, but I, (laughs) I will probably ask you questions as we go on because I'm a little, I I wouldn't say lost, but it's my first client that I've ever had with Parkinson's. So it's just, it's different and interesting. So it's Um, so interesting. Yeah. I'll be honest. If I had a Parkinson's client, I would be lost because I'm like so far in the pediatric land. I would not, (laughs) I have no clue. It's hard Um, to shift for sure. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about what your sessions look like since they're held in your client's houses? Sure. So, um, every day is very different and every home is different. So whether I'm in a private home or I'm in a senior living community, it's so vastly different. So being in senior living communities, those could be like an independent living and assisted living, a memory care unit, mm-hmm. um, depending on the type of facility, the feel of the facility, uh, I might be interacting a lot with nursing or, you know, recreation or dip different dietary, Um, so there's that side of it. And then as well as family and, you know, the, the, uh, anyone else who might be in the environment. So, Mm -hmm. um, when I'm in the home, it's a little bit different. Uh, there might be a full-time caregiver. It might be a family member. It might be someone who's hired to help or Mm -hmm. the person might live alone. Um, so it really just depends. It's been a lot of adapting to the environment. So cultural, religious, socioeconomic factors, all those things can affect a person's therapeutic goals. Uh, Mm -hmm. So each person's individual needs, they need to be taken into account. So Mm -hmm. everything is very different. And I kind of just walk into a person's house and I'm like, wow, what's this going to be? Yeah. Um, So it's a lot of functional activities centered around each client's individual needs. Uh, And it's a private space. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it means asking about things that I notice and putting myself out there. So I try to always aim to be respectful and non-judgmental in order right. to support them. But sometimes it, you know, I work with people with these cognitive communication deficits mm-hmm. and sometimes they're like, Oh, I'm actually fine. There's nothing wrong. I don't need your services. So sometimes it takes like a little bit of, and I'm like, not a nosy person. I'm, I'm always so scared that someone's going to think I'm nosy. <laughs> um, but like, you have to be a little bit, you know, you have to say like, well, I noticed, you know, you have a, you do have a lot of bills stacked up. Like, is it difficult for you to or- organize your finances? Mm-hmm. Are you having challenges? And like, for the most part though, if people trust you and you build a really good rapport with them, mm-hmm. I feel like that's when they're open. At yeah. first they'll say like, oh no, I have no issues at all. And then yeah. like the conversation <laughs> continues and they're like, yeah. So, I mean, my memory's not as good as it used to be. Right. As soon as they see that you're like not out there to get them, you're actually just trying to help keep them where they're at. People are so much more receptive. I feel like. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's probably hard too, if they live alone, because you're not getting that report from their significant mm-hmm. other, from their family or caregiver. So I feel like that would be really hard, especially if they live alone. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Most people I see right now have caregivers. Okay. So it's like a gentle, it's a balance. It's usually a balance of me speaking to the person. Mm -hmm. I really try to give information to the person first Mm -hmm. and then give information to the caregiver. So I'll say like, Hey, just so you know, like I need to talk to your daughter about this. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is, and this is what I'm going to say. And that's what I say. So 
and things are going to be phrased differently depending on their understanding of, of what's going on and things right. like that. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's definitely a delicate balance. I think mm-hmm. that, um, it was helpful to work in the skilled nursing facility first because yeah. I was interacting with staff, caregivers, people were calling, but it was also during COVID. So there's no one in the facility mm-hmm. from their families mm-hmm. for the most part. Right. And now I'm in their homes and there's family everywhere. And, right. uh, <laughs> It, you know, there's so much input from so many different people right. and it's kind and everyone's got a different communication style. Right. Uh, that's cultural things like they're, who do you talk to when the person's this culture versus, uh, you know, how does family play into their everyday life? Do they live? Mm-hmm. Is there extended family? Like, how does that all work? Like it's been mm-hmm. really fun. Um, right. and very interesting. Yeah. That go ahead. I was just gonna, I have a question. What does your caseload look like? Like how many, um, clients or patients do you have at a given time or does it kind of fluctuate? It kind of fluctuates, depends on what I'm seeing people for certain Mm -hmm. treatments. Uh, I can see people for a longer amount of time, like an hour session, other treatments, Mm -hmm. I can only see them for half hour. So if I have a bunch of half hour sessions, I'm going to have to see more clients that week. Mm-hmm. I would say I do about 30, 25 to 30 sessions, I think a week. Mm-hmm. Um, it really just depends. And I am new to the position too. So like things are fluctuating and yeah. I'm in different areas. Um, but I would say mostly, um, I do see, I see people usually like twice a week two to three times a week. Some people I only see once a week, Mm -hmm. but in outpatient rehab, you can see them for a longer period of time, which is really what drew me to it because I was, I would get so frustrated, (laughs) even though there's like, you know, there's a continuum of care and they go on somewhere else. I would get so frustrated at like working in the skilled nursing facility because like you'd just be making progress. And they'd be like, by the way, they're leaving tomorrow. Right. And I'm like, what? We were just only getting started. Yeah. So it's so interesting now because, and now it's, I feel like even a different type of pressure. Cause I'm, I'm like the last SLP, like they've already seen speech sometimes before. Oh. And now I'm the last one, um, kind of on the line of their, of their care, at least for a while, or, you know, or they could, they could always go somewhere else afterwards. And some right. of them do get speech from other sources. Like I have someone who's active in the Parkinson's voice, um, mm-hmm. project, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get other resources, but I feel like a lot of it falls on my shoulders yeah. to like wrap up their care. Right. Definitely. So I know that when you first reached out to us, we kind of talked a little bit and you mentioned how important and how much, um, I guess, importance you put on patient centered therapy. So can you talk a little bit about that and why it's so important, especially working with adults. I think it's important with all of our patients we work with, but especially when working with adults, how that plays a factor. Yeah. So, um, I first start, I mean, when I was at Boston university, there was a huge focus on functional activities, Mm -hmm. doing what's functional for the client. What are their goals? Not what your goals are for the client, but what do they want to do? So one of my first clients that I ever had when I was in graduate school, uh, their goal was that they wanted to be able to read to their child at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was such a meaningful goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the first time that I was like, wow, like these are, 
to some people I would be like, mm, that's a little goal, but that's a big goal to these, to people right. who've gone through life-changing, you know, acquired brain injuries and things like that. They want to go back to where they were at before. Right. Um, and I did, I took a continuing education course, like at, right after I graduated, it was about assessment of uh, patients with dementia. Mm-hmm. It was so interesting how they talked about like, and it's true, like you're not necessarily always going to sit down with a patient who has dementia and give them a standardized test. Like it's mm-hmm. just not going to happen. Um, right. And you're also not going to give a standardized treatment for anybody. So, you know, sometimes it means meeting them, you know, kind of seeing where they're at in their current environment um, and also adjusting based on what they individually need. So right. like I center my therapy around my patient's goals with like a lot of attention to what they can do and using their strengths to support their mm-hmm. challenges. So I try not to dwell on the areas of deficit, but rather figure out like what their goals are and how I can support them in reaching those goals. Right. So sometimes patients or caregivers might have expectations also that like aren't realistic mm-hmm. and that's really hard, but mm-hmm. even with the most positive of mindsets, it's like, I have to remind myself, like, I am not a miracle worker. There are things that we can do and there's things that we just can't. And Mm -hmm. like, I always have like a lot, a lot of positivity, I think, in what people can do, Mm -hmm. but also sometimes people, you know, they've gone through all of these levels of care and some of them move very quickly. Yeah. And sometimes they don't know. I've had people who really have not understood what their disorder means, how it will progress. So sometimes I feel like I'm giving them information that they probably have heard before, but maybe not. But then I have to kind of rewind and be like, okay, this, this is what's going to maybe happen. Mm -hmm. And these are things that we can focus on. Right. That's so hard too, because that requires such a level of like, not just counseling, but also like knowledge on Mm -hmm. their disorder. And obviously you have knowledge from like a speech standpoint, but to also like tell them, I mean, they have questions, maybe not related to speech. Like I've had that happen before with some of my clients, especially like post-stroke. And I'm like, ah, you really have got to know. And it's, it makes it really hard sometimes. Yeah. Knowing like what our scope of practice is, what I need need to know. And (laughs) yeah, exactly. um, And I don't, but also not being afraid. I tell people all the time. I'm like, I'm actually not sure. I'll yeah. look it up and mm-hmm. I'll get back to you. Like, yeah. I think people appreciate that honesty versus mm-hmm. if I were to pretend Agreed. to know everything about, like, I don't want to give people the wrong information and right. they might never ask the question again, if right. they think they got the answer for me. Right. So it also helps that the company I work for, you know, it's speech pathologists, uh, physical therapists and occupational therapists. So usually people are working with other therapists at the same time. And if not, like I can always refer out, but, um, that's helpful that I can be like, that's a great question for your physical therapist. I don't really have that knowledge or that's a great question for your doctor. I would, Mm -hmm. I would contact your doctor after this session. Yes. Um, I've said that a lot. (laughs) I will call a doctor in the middle of the session. I've talked to a patient's neurologist in the session and, Cause sometimes it means like chasing down other health professionals. Cause I'm like, right. these, these people need answers and right. mm-hmm. it's really hard for people juggling so many things. These caregivers yeah. are super overwhelmed. Yeah. So sometimes it's like, okay, if you don't have time to call the doctor, I'll do it right now. We'll do mm-hmm. it here. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll do it like on the way to someone else's house or like, right. um, <laughs> yeah. use my Bluetooth a lot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I think it's really important that you mentioned making it functional. That reminds me, Claire, I don't know if it was you or not, but someone in grad school had an older client and I think he was, I think he had a phasia post-stroke and he just wanted to be able to tell his wife that he loved her. Oh gosh. And do you remember that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think about that like frequently, like it's great that we can like, you know, name things, whether it's like divergent naming or convergent naming. That's great. If you can tell me like three fruits or tell me that an apple, banana and a watermelon are fruits, but is that really functional? (laughs) Like, yeah, that can be helpful in certain times, but are you meeting them where they're at? And I think that's a really good point that you brought up. And I think that what was great about my fellowship is I think I went from the, like BU gave such a strong foundation that I'm really grateful for. Mm -hmm. And I got you know, I got to do my externships and I had a really great time in those. And I, I learned so much in my classes, um, and in the clinic, uh, but also like being thrown into like a clinical fellowship, I had a great supervisor. Um, but still you're learning so much on your own. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I remember like, I don't know, like, I I was like, well, how do I do a comprehensive evaluation? Yeah. (laughs) Also like a lot of these skilled nursing facilities, they don't have a ton of resources. Mm -hmm. So like you're creating your own resources, you're creating your own assessments. Mm -hmm. Um, there's free ones out there. So like I use those, but you know, it's also, yeah. How long am I going to spend? And it depends on the patient too, Mm -hmm. but sometimes these patients, I walk in and I'm like, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And they need they need treatment options. They need things in that moment, in that session. So am I going to spend five sessions evaluating them fully to find out where all of their areas of difficulties are? Probably not, to be honest. I mean, I might start treatment right after doing like a short evaluation. And then evaluation is, I mean, we constantly are assessing our patients while we're Mm -hmm. treating. So I try not to get so wrapped up anymore on like, well, what's the name of the right. disorder? Like <laughs> what specific type of aphasia do they yes. have? Ugh. Like yep. <laughs> some so of true. it is like, yeah, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm constantly taking what's going on to figure out like, okay, right. how's their comprehension? How is their naming and things like that? But it, it, it's, it's not always black and white though. Not always no. black and white. It's not always easy to assess. Um, mm-hmm. Sure, when you have like a thousand resources and four hours of evaluation time, you can get into nitty gritty. But also, some people don't want to know. And like, I think that's also like, if I just sat my patients down and told them all the areas of weakness, mm-hmm. some people do not even want to know that they're having difficulties right. in areas. Yeah, and that's a lot to tell them. So, it's there is definitely a place for comprehensive evaluations. And I think that they're incredible when people can get them. And I think probably few people do get them. Um, but it's not, you're not going to do a comprehensive evaluation, like in the sense of like a three to four hour evaluation, it's going to be comprehensive in that you're going to hit upon every area that that person's having difficulty with, you know, and you want to make sure that even if the patient's like, Oh yeah, no, my swallowing is good. You're still asking. Okay. But do you mm-hmm. cough with meals? Does this and this, and then you suddenly things start to open up and they're like, oh wait, yeah, that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you want to be comprehensive in your assessment, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be doing a three to four hour evaluation yeah. before you start treatment. So I'm curious, like when that happens, like what you just said with, if a client like doesn't think they're having difficulties and they tell you like, 
oh, my swallowing's fine or, oh, my memory is fine. But then you start like asking questions and they start like indicating Mm -hmm. that there actually might be a problem. Like, how do you approach that with them if they're kind of in that denial phase? Because I have some that are like that. And I'm curious how you approach that because it's hard to like break it to them basically. Yeah. It's, it's very delicately. I think, um, and I'm going to have a post about this on my, on my uh, Instagram, hopefully soon. Um, but I, we learned about the grief cycle, like shortly Mm -hmm. in some of my classes and Mm -hmm. we did talk about it for sure, but I don't know, like my theory is kind of just like most of our patients are somewhere in the grief cycle, whether they've reached acceptance or, you know, so in, in a way, like, all of them are probably in the grief cycle. Um, so when patients are resistant to therapy, I usually, I try to use words that are accepting that I did educate them and, you know, they made an educated decision and declined my services and like, that's okay. And I, I try to phrase things as positively as possible because some like these patients, medical records will follow them throughout. And it's very easy for other providers to then see your report and be like, oh, they're non-compliant. Right. And I really hate that word. And I don't, it, 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 our patients a lot of times already feel like their control has been taken away. Mm-hmm. So to have a reputation through their documentation that they have no control over, yeah. uh, that's really, I feel like it's really dehumanizing. So yeah. I try to, this might've gone off topic a little bit. I no, just, not at all. <laughs> I, I try to give education Sometimes, yes, I'm going to like cross that. Like they say they're, they're not having difficulties. I'm going to sometimes then wait and be like, oh, okay, no, no problem. Mm-hmm. But then I'm at the first opportunity, I'm going to point out where I think they might be having challenges, right. whether or not they accept my assessment. That's, that's kind of up to them, right. you know, up to their caregivers. And there are times that people aren't, they're not, they're really not ready to accept that education. Yeah. And that's when I have a conversation with them or like, or with their caregivers that like, Hey, we can like, maybe we put them on hold. Maybe yeah. we discharge. They're just not ready for speech therapy right now. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's like, as a speech pathologist, they just want to help everybody. Who mm-hmm. right. help. Totally. But, like, you can't force it, it either. You can't yeah. force it. And I truly believe that like, there's also days when you show up, like I remember in the skilled nursing facility, like I remember showing up to someone's room and like, yeah, you need to hit your productivity and all those things. Like for me and my CF, luckily, like the productivity wasn't so strong, like the the need to be productive. Um, But I remember like, there was some days, like I walked into a person's room, I'm like, ready for your speech therapy. And they're like, today is a really bad day. Like today is not, and they are there for speech, but I think there has to be a balance and like respecting like where they're at and what they've gone through. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, I, I mean, I also just think there's so much need for like that counseling aspect and building social rapport with them, because Mm -hmm. then you can be real with them. If you have a good social rapport, you're just like, okay, I know you're not having difficulties depending on the patient. Like Mm -hmm. you can see this to every patient, but I have patients who are like, some patients were like, yeah, well, my memory's shot and there's nothing I can do about it. And I'm like, you're right. If you have that attitude, like there is nothing you can do about mm-hmm. it. But if you approach it that like, no way, like I'm going to keep my memory as strong as I can for as long as I can, then mm-hmm. there's things we can do. 
So yeah. is that going to be like the, the perspective you take with me today? And they're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's part of being patient centered. Like what you said, respecting them and respecting what they've been through. I think that's, that's such a huge thing that I think sometimes people can forget. Like they have gone through something traumatic. They're going oh, through yeah. something traumatic. Like that's a huge part of the patient centered therapy. And also knowing, like, I remember one of the things I was nervous about because my first client was an adult client. Mm-hmm. Um, I was nervous about positive reinforcement because I didn't want it. To, I was just like, I was like, I don't want it to be like, oh, good job. Like yep. you did great with that activity. Cause mm-hmm. I came from like an education background and you know, like when you're working with kids, you get positive right. reinforcement all the time. Right. Um, but you know, like one of my professors was just like, they still need to know when they're doing a good job. Like, you know, like, and I, I trust myself that I do it in a way that's tactful, you know? Um, but for sure. And some patients need more than others, right? Like some patients are like, stop, that was horrible. (laughs) But I'm like, I'm like, no, you are trying so hard. And that is so like, you did great today because you worked so hard at it, even though this was really difficult for you. Mm-hmm. So it looks different. I think when you're giving the positive reinforcement for adults, but you definitely, I get, I give positive reinforcement all the time, even when they're doing things amazing. I'm still like, that was, and sometimes it's also calling attention to like, wow, you did that great. Or doing it for the caregiver too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Caregivers are exhausted. They don't want to hear everything they're doing wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, right. and they're, they're just doing their best, you know? Yeah. So a lot of times I'll be like, wow, that was so great that you did this you might want to try this too. Like how did, like, Oh, what happens when you do that? And kind of let, like, let them give you the answer versus you giving them, telling them what to do. Yeah. So you've touched on this a little bit, but what advice would you have for, um, like newer grads or CFs that want to work with the adult population and maybe even in a similar position to yours? So I would say like, First of all, be open to different settings because I think like where I thought I'd be when I was in grad before grad school, where I thought I'd be during grad school and where I, where I am now is just so vastly different. Mm -hmm. Um, be open to different settings and know that like every setting is different, not only in like what you're going to be learning, who you're going to be treating, but also like the relationships you're building. Like I, had this idea that like, I want to build relationships with people over a period of time. I loved working in the grad school clinic, but then like I was working in the skilled nursing facility and people are gone very quickly in acute care. They might be gone even quicker to like Mm -hmm. the next level of care. So for me, like now this is like, I love where I'm at right now because I get to spend so much time with people and build such great relationships. So I would say like, be open to different settings. And if you don't get your top setting initially, like that's okay. Like, I don't even know what my top setting is. I just know I like, I like what I'm doing right now. Um, you know, so it's not like I need to be in this setting to be the best of the, like, it's just not like that, you know, like take, take opportunities as they come, but also like seek out opportunities too. learn as much as you can, like definitely like I'm not an expert, Sometimes people like will say like, well, you're the expert. I'm like, I'm not though. I'm not. Like, <laughs> I'm not an expert. I'm still learning. Like I'm excited to get more certifications and things like that. Um, and also like working with adults, like be ready to counsel. Mm-hmm. Like you definitely counsel when you work with kids too. But I would say like some of this counseling is like, um, it can be really heavy some days. Like mm-hmm. they're, 
you know, like there's definitely really hard days and I try to keep boundaries, but oh my gosh, they totally fall apart some days. Um, and I take, I take things home with me all the time and I really try not to. So there's things that I do for self-care to help, but it can be really hard because these people have had these life-changing things happen. Um, so be ready to cancel. You know, there's days that your client's emotional needs will be most of your session maybe. And, you know, like you can counsel as it relates to speech therapy. And that might need, that might be what they need, you know, in that day. Uh, so just take advantage of opportunities and like, don't be discouraged. Just keep on trying, connect with people. If you're like, if there's an Instagram account that you really like, that you really look up to, like reach out to them. Like I connect with new people all the time. That's why I message you guys. Like, yeah, we say that all the time is that we have met like so many amazing people that the speech Instagram community in itself is like, the best. Yeah. Like everyone is so outgoing, so willing to help because I feel Mm -hmm. like in this profession, is anyone an expert? Like maybe you've done it your whole career, but you're never done learning. Like it's, uh, yeah, it's great. I think that like, as long as someone is open to learning, like, Mm -hmm. like you can be an awesome SLP. You just need to be open to constantly being learning because constantly learning because it's, I mean, everything is always changing, right? Totally. And I'm, I feel like I'm constantly reaching out to people and looking up resources and like trying new, new different things in therapy. Like it, you know, just because, you know, the evidence is always changing. Right. Um, and that's kind of the challenge of like, yeah, working in this, working yeah. in this field. Like yeah, we, for we sure. have to change every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so speaking of the Instagram world, do you want to tell us a little bit about your platform really quick? I know you have a, a very cool Instagram following and platform on coffee talk SLP. So kind of like why you started that and what kind of things you post to help other SLPs. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so coffee talk SLP is a platform where I share content with future and current SLPs, SLPAs, um, provide interprofessional education and just share my love for what I do as an SLP. Um, so I saw that there was a, a gap in mentorship from the speech community. Not that people aren't willing to mentor, but I think there's just like, people get so busy and, uh, you know, a lot of SLPs are like overworked, underpaid, like right. they're so busy already. Um, but I wanted to make sure that like, students are getting what they need. Other speech pathologists are getting what they need and that the information is getting out. So mm-hmm. I create content. Um, I also like, I host coffee talks. Um, cool. so what they really are is they're like question answer sessions basically yeah. where, um, I, and sometimes like other SLPs and things like that, we all kind of discuss and answer questions for students. Um, but I, I also want to gear other ones towards like SLPAs, SLPs, other people in the community. So like, I really want to plan one with, I reached out to some occupational therapists so that we could kind of bring together SLP students and occupational therapy students to see how SLPs and occupational therapists interact in different Mm -hmm. settings. So I think a big focus is in hosting the coffee talks to share information, which, um, you know, is, is needed. There's mm-hmm. a lot of questions. Students have a lot of questions Yes, and a lot of them, you know, like a lot of people come from schools where there's no communication science program. Right. So answering their questions and like, just being really honest. Cause I don't know, like there was a lot that I did not know about the fields mm-hmm. <laughs> before. And like, luckily Same. I love it, but 
you know, there's also things that are really hard about the field and need to be changed too. Right. Yeah. So it's being open to like the hard questions as well. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I love that you're creating that space. I think it's so needed. And mm-hmm. like we said before, the Instagram community is awesome. Everyone supports each other and we're all learning from each other. So that's great. Yeah. Thanks. Well, Sherilyn, I think that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you coming on here. I feel like we could keep going and probably do a part two. <laughs> I know that nobody likes to listen to us talk for more than like 30 minutes. So <laughs> we try to keep it short for you guys listening, because I know that long podcasts sometimes dra- drain, drag, drag on. <laughs> it's a Monday, you guys. Yeah. Help it. Um, but yeah, we'd love to have you on for a part two at some point. So we'll, we'll so keep you updated. Yeah. yeah and it. let us know when one of your coffee talks are and we can yeah. join. We would love to. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I love when people are like, Ooh, I'll hop on. And yeah. then I'm like, we have surprise people. There's yeah. more than just me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I would love to too. Yeah. Please make sure for you tell sure. us. And guys, make sure you check out um, Sherilyn's page on Coffee Talk SLP. Sherilyn, thanks so much. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Well, guys, that wraps up this episode. Thank you again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speechissupersweet at gmail.com. And you can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. Rachel and I also have an email for the podcast that you can email us with suggestions or if you or someone you know wants to be on the podcast, that's let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.